Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, and I read verse 38. Mark 4, verse 38. And he, Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Our friends, we're looking at this uh, simple and yet well-known and amazing uh, passage of Scripture, probably preached over many, many times around the world even today, and a source of much comfort uh, to the believer to read these things. And uh, we're going to look at it in a a gospel way uh, tonight. And we're going to ask the question that so many people really ask. Does God care? Does God care? Does God care for us? Is He really interested in us? Is He really concerned about you and me? Does He have any a real interest in us? And if, it, if He does, is it just a general interest He has? Or is there a personal interest? Does He just know everyone on a global scale? Or is he able to come down and give us some individual attention and individual care and personal attention? Is he able to do these things? Our parents care for us. We know that. Our spouse cares for us. We know that. They take care of us when we are ill. They will go out of the way to help us when we are sick or in need. If we are worried, they also are worried because they care for us. You can see it in their face. You can see the anxiety when we are anxious or some bad thing has happened to us. You can see in that parent's face that, uh, or, or the spouse's face that, uh, uh, an, an look and a thought of anxiety is also there. When you're down, they try and encourage you. They empathize with you in times of difficulty. And so we know You know these people, they really care for us. But does God, does God care for us? These friends that we have, perhaps you have many friends, perhaps you have some who are especially close friends to you, and you know that they care for you. They don't hear from you, or they'll knock on your door, or they'll ring you, or they'll text you, they'll keep in touch with you, they want to know what's happened to you, haven't heard from you, are you okay? Everything doing, going well? If you're on a project, you're doing something a little bit challenging or difficulty, they come alongside you, they'll spur you on, they, they exhort you to keep going. Oh, no matter what the difficulties are, come on, you can do it. You can do it. They'll pat you on the back, they'll encourage you with these things. But does God care? Our friends care for us. What about, what about the Almighty? Doctors and nurses. They care for us, isn't it? They look after us. They, have a, they deal with us very tenderly if we're hospitalized or, or ill. They look after our physical well-being, care workers, care for the elderly and the infirm. Skin care companies tell us they care about our skins and our bodies. Home care companies tell us they're concerned about our homes and they Uh, They want to protect our homes. Car care companies tell us that they care about our cars. And child care companies tell us they they will care 
for our children at a price. Even our dogs tell us they care about us and show some measure of affection towards us. And we like it. And we like it that they like us. And they're interested in it. And they wag their tails when we walk through the door if you have a dog. But we know these things and we appreciate these things and we, we, we respond to these things. All these things are telling me they care. They care. But that one question that bugs me, the one question in my mind that keeps going back and backwards and forwards, does God care? Does the Almighty care for me? Does my Creator even know about me? Does He know my circumstances? Does He know what's happening to me? Is He interested in me? This is the one thing that uh, we ask. Does God care? Well, some people say very adamantly, no, God doesn't care for you. God is not interested in you at all. God doesn't even know about you. Uh, God doesn't have any care for men and women. If he did, if he really did, and if he really is as powerful as uh, he is, he's meant to be, then surely he would use his power, wouldn't he, to help us? Shouldn't he, surely he wouldn't stand idly by and do nothing? That's how you could look at this particular sentence of these disciples. You could look at it in different ways, and we'll mention a few tonight. You could look at it in this accusative kind of way. It's as if the disciples are accusing the Lord Jesus when he was asleep on the boat. He'd had a hard day, and the storm came, and there they were trying to rescue the boat, but he still was asleep. And they awoke him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? It's almost like an accusatory tone, as if they are reprimanding him for not caring. We're dying. We're, we're going to sink. We're going to drown. You don't care about these things? Oh, friends, you don't care to rescue us from death? This is an accusation that's often leveled against the Lord. You hear it, isn't it? Often on the streets, when you try and talk to people, oh, they're not interested. God doesn't care. If he loved us, if he's a God of love, he wouldn't allow all these troubles, all these things to happen in life, all these tsunamis, all the wars that are taking place. He wouldn't allow all these things. God is a million miles away from us. He doesn't care for us. Or if he is nearby, and he has no interest in us. He's just looking on. He's just standing idly by. He's just folding his hands. He's twiddling his thumbs. He's doing nothing to help us. If he really was concerned, surely he would help us. If I saw my friend or somebody in need and I had the power to help them, I would help them. Well, why doesn't God help people in that way? If he's really so so great and so almighty, surely he would do so. Our world, look at our world, it's in such a mess. If he is so almighty, so great, and if he can stop these things, and we say, yes, he can stop these things, then why doesn't he? Is the question that's put back to us again and again. Surely he doesn't really care. Why doesn't he do something? The disaster, the tsunamis, the earthquakes, the children dying of cancer, 
These things are all brought up. But look at that human misery. What a miserable world that we live in. And God is not doing anything about it. Surely he doesn't care. Is it true? Well, friends, it's not true at all. But, uh, permit me just to give you some reasons why there is uh, suffering in the world and why God doesn't intervene and just take away all the troubles and take away all the diseases and take away all destructive things from this world. There, is a, there are some uh, things, uh, reasons why uh, God doesn't intervene in such a way. He does care, he does is concerned, but he allows these things to, to continue. And firstly, we could say that the troubles and the, the difficulties in this world is a, a result of the fall. It's the result of Adam's sin and rebellion against God. It's man who chose to disobey his maker and chose to disobey his maker's command. And in doing that, he opened the door to all these things. Before, uh, when God first created the world, it was perfect. There were none of these troubles. There were no tsunamis. There were no hatred. There was no wars. There were no diseases of any kind. They were in perfect health. They would have lived forever if they had obeyed the commandment of God, and we would have lived forever with them. But when Adam sinned and Eve sinned, then sin came into the world. It's as if they, was, they came in one by one. Death came in. Destruction came in. Disease came in one by one. And that has infected this whole world. It has infected the created world in which we live, and it has infected you and I and our physical bodies. The problem, friends, is not with God. The problem is our own. This act of rebellion. Remember what God said to Adam? If you take of that fruit of the tree, the forbidden tree, you can eat of all the other trees, but just this one tree, you cannot eat from it. But if you eat from that tree, you'll be an act of, of rebellion. You'll be showing yourself to be a, dis, a disbeliever in me, a disobedient person. And a, a result of that, that will, will bring in sin. You will die if you eat of that tree, if you take of it. Did they listen? Sadly not. Adam and Eve didn't listen. They didn't obey the Lord's commandment. They listened to Satan. Satan deceived them and they were taken in. That's when all our troubles began when man disobeyed his maker. You see, friends, people like to blame God for the troubles, but we have to realize it's our fault. It's our fault that the world is in such a mess. It's man's fault, not God's fault. We like to point the finger of blame at God. Why don't you do something about it? It's uh, rather like a person, you know, who perhaps has... Uh, done over, uh, drunk over much, has drunk himself almost to death on the strong alcohol, and then he goes to the hospital, and the doctor says, there's no more, no more we can do for you, sir. But you must do something for me. He expects the doctor to help him, to heal him, but it's his fault. He's brought himself into that condition. Or you could think of a man who, who, uh, who every month takes his salary and spends it on gambling and, and on the dogs and on the horses. And then he's got no money to support his family. 
and he's left in that condition, and he goes to the, the bank manager and says, can you give me a loan? <laughs> the bank manager's not going to give you a loan. Why won't you give me a loan? He can't get angry with the bank manager. It's the fault is his own. And so, friends, also with us, uh, these, the troubles in the world are down to us, but God allows them, God permits them to, to remain there to remind us of these things that it's our fault because we're so good at forgetting that it's down because of us. And he is reminding us uh, through the troubles that happen in our lives that we are fallen creatures, that we are sinful creatures, that we have rebelled against God, and that sin is no plaything. Sin is not something you can just play around with and get away with it. Sin has consequences. The wages of sin is death. And it's like taking a poisonous snake in your hand and playing with it as a pet. And it's still got its venom in it and it will bite you and it will, it will kill you. That's, what, that's why the Lord, in one sense, allows trouble still to remain in this world, to remind us of these things. We so easily forget, uh, forget our true state as sinners. But then also, troubles help us in another way. The troubles unfold to us our impotence, our weakness. Here you see the disciples, they tried everything to keep that boat from sinking. They tried to keep it afloat. They, the, as the water, the waves uh, filled into the boat, probably you can see them there with their pails, uh, each one. Uh, throwing out the, the, the sea water back into the sea and trying to keep it, uh, the, the, the boat afloat. But it, they couldn't manage it till at the very last moment, they, after trying their level best, in despair they cry out, Master, save us, we're perishing. They tried, but they realized they couldn't do it. These are experienced fishermen who knew how to handle a boat, who'd been in a storm many times before. And now they realize that we're weak. We're weak. We cannot manage this particular situation. Oh, friends, when all is going well with us, how we feel so, so able. We feel so confident, don't we? We think, oh, yeah, you know, I'm invincible. Let, let whatever happened to me happen, come my way. I can manage it. You know, I'm Mike Tyson. I can, I can manage whoever comes at me and whatever comes my, my way. I'm strong, I'm, I'm able. Oh, friends, when the sun is shining, we walk tall. We think in this way of ourselves. We're ready for anything that life can throw at us. We are proud. I don't need God. I can manage myself. I don't need to pray. I don't need to ask God for help. I don't need to depend on the Lord Jesus Christ. I can manage by myself. When everything is going well, that's what we think. But when trouble comes and we're placed in a situation that is beyond our control and we can do nothing about it, and we are frustrated and we are anxious and we are thrown really into the deep end and we find ourselves drowning in some particular painful, perhaps difficult thing, it's then that we realize Oh, how weak really we are. It's then when we're in a situation that we, is overwhelming, we realize 
I'm a needy person. I haven't got enough in me to handle these things. I need God. I'm a poor and needy person. I need a Savior. I need help from on high. I need the Lord. See, friends, if you can look at it, though troubles are so painful, they are also our friends if they bring us to the Lord in this way. But then also we could say this is this cry, Master, carest thou not that we perish, is a, is a prayer. It's a cry for help. Master, we're perishing. Help us. We're drowning, Lord. Help us. And uh, friends, without troubles, perhaps we would never pray. Perhaps we would never direct, call upon God. A trouble-free life usually equals a life without God. A life without Christ. Why should I pray? Why should I depend on God? Everything is going well. I've got money in the bank. I've got my certificates. I've got my family. Everything is good. I can see a good future before me. My boss is happy with me. Everything is planned out. I've got my home. Maybe my mortgage is all paid off. I've got nothing to worry about. I've got children who love me and so on. Well, you have everything is going, going so well for you. And you never really think, well, I need God. The tendency rather is you forget God in these situations. God is extinguished from our minds, sadly. It shouldn't be. The goodness of God should lead us to repentance. When we see these blessings, we should say, oh, God has been so good to me. I must turn back to Him and, and thank Him for these things and give my life to Him. But sadly, often it doesn't work that way. And we end up leaving God out of our minds. He's not, he's not there. But when troubles come, when those storms come in our lives, then we cry out. That's when we begin to pray, Oh, Lord, help me. Lord, I need you now in this particular situation. Isn't that your experience, friends? That we cry out to God in times of trouble. And then we could also say just one more thing, that this storm experienced, well, it exposed the lack of faith in these disciples. Look at uh, what the Lord said to them after uh, he was awoken by their cry. Verse 39, he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? The storm caused, exposed them as having no faith. Where is your faith? You don't have it. If you had faith, you wouldn't be so, so tossed to and fro. You wouldn't be so troubled by uh, even this particular storm. You may be fear, fearful, but your faith would have come in and would have helped you and sustained you. But they had no faith. Christ is with them in the vessel. Nothing is going to happen to him. That ought to assure, have assured them Christ is with us. Uh, they will not perish. They had no faith. And so they were so uh, uh, fearful. Oh, friends, troubles also exposed our spiritual poverty. And they show to us when we are overwhelmed by the things which happen in our lives that we also have no hold upon God. We are exposed as having no faith. We've been depending upon ourselves and troubles show us these things and expose to us our hearts. You don't have faith, they're saying. 
If you had faith in God, real faith in Him, these things wouldn't overwhelm you to the degree that they are doing. Look at you, you're, you're tossed back and forward uh, by these things. You're up and down like that ship on, this, on the sea, backwards and forwards. And then because you have no God to help you, because you, to you there is no relationship between you and God has not been established. You have no omnipotent power to call upon to come to your aid. You're on your own. You're depending on yourself. You have no heavenly friend to pray to and say, Lord Jesus, help me. You don't have that. Oh, friends, the, the troubles show us these things. No one who is there, uh, the, that, that eternal heavenly friend, who is willing and able to come to our aid in times of trouble. Does God care? Yes, He does, friends. He allows these troubles to happen so that we are driven to Him. But does He care? Yes, without a doubt, uh, He cares. Look at verse 35 and 36. There's something interesting here. The same day when the even was come, this is at the beginning of the trip, He saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was into the ship. They took him even as he was. What's that mean? They took him even as uh, he was. Well, friends, it's referring to his state of weariness and exhaustion. That's how he was at the end of this day, at this evening hour. He was exhausted, and they took him in that state of exhaustion into the boat and into the ship. And that's why he ended up uh, sleeping for, uh, so, uh, so calmly and, and, uh, 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 upon that uh, wooden uh, pillow uh, within the boat. But he had spent the whole day ministering to others. Does Christ care? Oh, yes, he does. He really does. Look at him. If you, read, if you read the Gospels and you read it closely, you will know that he cares. Even this chapter, it begins. He began the day sitting in a boat and the multitudes were on the beach and he was preached to them. He would exert his lungs, lift up his voice, and he would preach to them hour after hour after hour. And then when he had some recess, perhaps on the beach, he would, people would be coming to him and he would turn no one away. Everyone who came to him, he would minister to them. If a person needed healing, he would deal with it. He didn't just give a word uh, and everybody was healed. It was an individual, personal healing. Does Christ care for us personally? Yes individually, one by one. And every time he did a miracle, something went out of him. Compassion went out of him. It cost him something to touch, to heal, to say a word of power to each one. Demoniacs came to him, and he delivered them. He felt for them, and he helped them in, in this way. This was how he was during his ministry. His ministry was one of toil, up early in the morning, in prayer with his father, toiling the whole day, exhausted at night. 
often missing his own food. My meat is to do. My father's will. Have you eaten, Master? My meat is to do the Father's will. This is what he was, a toiling savior because of people. He cared for people. There was one time even his own family said to him, was so worried about it. He's, 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 he's overdone it now. He's beside himself. He's doing too much. And they tried to go and rescue him. But that's what he was like. Because love was in his heart for people. And he spent the days uh, caring for them. He saw them, uh, the people, as sheep without a shepherd. He cared not for himself, but he cared for them. Oh, and then even we could go back to verse 35, the purpose of this journey. Why are they taking this journey? Let us pass over the other side, the Lord said to his disciples. And they're going uh, to the, the Gadarenes, the country of the Gadarenes. You can read it in chapter 5. Why is he going over there? <laughs> because he knows, he knows that there is a man who is demon-possessed and has been bound by Satan year after year and is unable to break free and he's tried and he's in distress and he's in great trouble and no one can help him, no man can help him, no man can tame him, no man can change him, but one, one man can help him and that's Christ. And so he takes this journey with that intention to go and make a difference to that one person's life to set him free. I must go across this lake and set this man free. I must go and save him from his despair. I must go and turn his life around. I feel for him. I will go and save him and bring him to myself. This is him. This is Christ, friends. Does he care? Of course he does. Oh, I could take you through many other instances of these things, but I must take you to the best one, the best instance. Oh, friends, you know where I'm going. We have to go to the cross. We have to go to the cross because that is the clearest indication that God cares. John 3:16. you know it so well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, friends, go to that cross. See this same Jesus who tread this world. See Him there, dying upon that, that cruel cross. See Him bleeding. See Him dying. Is He a criminal? Has He done wrong? Is He guilty? Innocent innocent. See him though laying down his life for others. See him not murmuring when people were criticizing him in, with such vile things. See him there dying as the substitute of sinners. Dying in the place of others. Oh, see him there dying in your place. Taking upon himself the penalty of sin of all those who will trust in Him. Save yourself, they said to Him. Come down from the cross, and then we will believe in you. He could have done that. He could have done that. But He didn't, because He cared. He cared for His... If I come down from the cross, if I save my own skin, then what about the, my people? 
What? Everyone will be lost. No one will be saved. And he wouldn't do that. At the cost of his own blood, at the cost of his own life, uh, he remained on that cruel cross. Oh, the depth of Christ's love. How mighty it is. Oh, the depth of his care. Dare anyone say, Master, carest thou not that we perish at the cross? We cannot do that, friends. Look again. Look at his hands and his sides. Look at his feet nailed to the cross. Do you believe this? Do you see his care? Do you see what he has done for guilty sinners like ourselves, undeserving sin? That's love. That's his love. Oh, let it draw you to him. But let me close with just one more thought, friends. And uh, here we see how uh, Christ was awoken by their cry. When, when they cried out, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Then he arose. He rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. The wind ceased. There was a great calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And look at verse 41. They feared ex exceedingly. Some people say this is the disciples, or it could have been the crew. They feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And this is my final point to leave with you. Friends, if ever you are to be saved and truly come to know the Lord, you must have a clear view of Christ. You must go beyond seeing the Lord Jesus just as a man. This must be your confession also. What manner of man is the Lord Jesus? What a glorious person he is. You must be able to see something of his glory. You mustn't see him just as a mere man, just like one of us. That will be of no use to you. You have to see him by faith as the all-powerful man, the God-man, the one who is exceedingly great, the one who is worthy uh, to be feared. So you must see him as divine, as the Son of God, you have to see him, friends, with these eyes. The second person of the Trinity. You know, I was talking to a Muslim friend yesterday, and we were having a, a gentle conversation. And uh, he actually brought up the subject with me, and he was showing to me, in his own way, the, the similarities between Christianity and the Muslim faith. And he was going on, talking about the incarnation, and... and uh, one or two other things that uh, he mentioned. And then he sort of looked at me and sort of almost with a sparkle in his eyes said, you know, we Muslims, we have more awe for Jesus than Christians. We have more awe, really. <laughs> but friends, they rob him. They take away from Christ his divinity. You cannot have awe for Christ as it were and miss out on his uh, divinity. He is the eternal Son of God. If ever you are saved, you must see this. You must see him as more than just a man. See Christ's power. 
See that he is able to help, just as he stilled the storm and the disciples were amazed. Wow, we could say, what an amazing man this is. He can do this, which no other man can do, and transfer that to your life. Christ has the power to change my life. Christ has the power to change my those sins that are holding me, those lusts that control me and that dictate to me. And I want to be free and I long to be free from them, but I haven't got the ability to break free. Christ has the power to set you free from them. Christ can do it. That's why you must go to Him. You see that He can do it. Then you will pray to Him. Christ has the power to give you a clean mind, a clean heart, a clean start in life, a pure inclinations towards Him. He can do this for you. See Him in this way. See Him as the one who has the right, the authority to forgive your sins. Oh, friends, especially see Him also as one who cares for you, as one who is concerned, even if nobody else cares for you and nobody else knows about you, Christ cares for your eternal welfare. He cares for your soul, little or large, whatever, wherever you are, wherever you come from. Christ cares and has a concern for you. Believe it. Look at that cross. But I'm a terrible sinner. Yes, still Christ cares for you. But I'm not righteous. Yes, still Christ cares for you. If you come to Him and you believe in Him with all your heart and trust in Him wholly, oh friends, uh, He will change you. But you must get the sight of Him. Then you will come to Him in repentance and faith and with yielding your life over to Him. Oh, you know Richard Dawkins. I think we all know Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins said this, DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. Well, that's what he thinks. DNA doesn't care. Well, in other words, he's saying it's only random molecules. That's all that we are. The Bible tells us different. The Bible tells us we are precious in God's sight. We are of value. You are of more value than the sparrows. And the Lord cares for us. No one will be able to say on the day of judgment to God, you don't care. You did nothing. Oh, he's done everything. If we will only turn to him. Cry to the Lord, friends, to save you. Cry to him if you do, just like here, just like these disciples, Master, save us, I'm perishing. And the Lord arose. So also you pray to Him sincerely and cry unto Him, Lord, save me, I'm perishing. I'm going to hell. I'm not ready to meet you, but save me and change me. He will arise. He will hear your prayer and He will give you an experience of Him that you will never, ever forget. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you truly do care for us. We thank you for your amazing love. Oh Lord, uh, let not the evil one rob us of these things, but may it only influence us and persuade us to come to you. 
and to yield our lives over to you wholeheartedly in repentance and trust. Lord, bless us in this place, each one. We ask in our Saviour's name. Amen. Let's close our final our service with our final hymn, number 376, Depth of Mercy Can There Be, 376. Thank you. 